0: Uh, Lessons from a pandemic. We're wanting to take a step back and just reflect on a couple lessons that God might want us to take away from these last 18 months or so. Uh, Last week we saw the reality of suffering and sorrow, and this morning we're going to take a look at the priority of spiritually intentional relationships. So I invite you to open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Hebrews chapter 10, as Mindy's going to read uh, verses 19 to 25, um, sorry about that, verses 19 to 25, and before she reads, I do just want to mention that she's going to read the first line, as brothers and sisters rather than just brothers, as your translation, am I doing something here, no, all right, Um Your translations might just say brothers, um, but as your Bible might show in a footnote, the word there can be translated as just brothers or brothers and sisters, and here I think that it's helpful to, to read this as brothers and sisters as it helps us to feel the call of this passage on our life. So I invite you to follow along as Mindy reads Hebrews chapter 10.
1: Hear the word of the Lord.
0: All Alright, as I mentioned here, we are in the middle of a series where we're hoping to take a step back from the day-to-day realities of all that's happened this last year and a half. And just to be able to consider some lessons that God might want us to take away. And as Tab mentioned last week, there are certainly a number of lessons that we could be talking about here during this series. Whether it's the role of government and religious freedom whether it's face masks and Christian freedom, and I'm sure many others more come to mind for you, um, but we're not going to talk about those. Instead, in this series, we are really hoping to speak to the issues that we think are going to help us transition well out of this pandemic. And on this piece here is we consider what it looks like to transition well out of this pandemic into what many are calling our new normal Um, I think that today's sermon and today's passage are going to be very helpful for us. Because if your experience these last couple weeks has been anything like mine, you found yourself very often staring at your Google Calendar And your Google inbox wondering, how in the world am I going to be able to do everything that I'm now getting email invitations to do? How in the world am I going to transition back into a new normal where life that had been once just a complete stop, where everything fell off of our calendars, and the only thing on our our agenda was to stay at home, and then after after that, to stay at home a little bit longer? And now here, as we transition out, we're just... The opportunity to to rebuild our calendars is here before us. And again, if your situation is anything like mine, you're finding more emails and more invites to things that that would be wise to say yes to. And so it's going to be pretty hard for us as we transition back into this new normal but I think that this opportunity that we have right now also provides us a very unique opportunity for each and every one of us here to reevaluate our priorities, to reevaluate what is going to drive the things that we're going to say yes to, and what's going to drive the things that we say no to. I mean, it's not very often in life that we have this situation where we're kind of going from, from a blank calendar, as it were, where there's not much on our, our already on our plates. And now as we get these invites, we can decide, am I going to say no to this, or am I going to say yes to this, and what's going to decide? And I think our passage this morning helps us, helps us to see what we should prioritize as we consider what is our new normal going to look like. I think it helps us to see what those big rocks are going to be that we're going to fill our jars with first before all the little things in life take up our time. And there are certainly a, a number of things that might cross your mind that you might consider to be priorities. And this morning, I want to look at something that I believe to be something I believe should be a central priority for all of us this year and every year. And that is the priority of pursuing what Mark Dever calls spiritually intentional relationships. And that's, the, that's one of the priorities for us as we consider what our calendars, what our lives are going to look like this year and every year. And that's the priority of pursuing spiritually intentional relationships. As we're going to see in our passage this morning, this must be a priority for each and every one of us because our growth, our prospering, our flourishing in the Christian life depends on this priority. As we're going to see here in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, that's going to be our passage this morning, we're going to see that spiritual prospering in the Christian life requires spiritually intentional relationships in the local church. We want to spiritually prosper in our Christian life. We need to prioritize spiritually intentional relationships in the local church. And so, as we continue, I'd like to unpack that statement. I'd like to flesh that out as we look at the what, the how, and the why of spiritually intentional relationships here. We are going to see what they are, how we make them and why we should make them. And it has been my prayer this week as we look at this passage that the Holy Spirit would use his word to increase our desire to have more and more and more of these types of relationships right here at Grace Church, that we would build a culture that is characterized by this type of relationships for our good and for God's glory. So first, let us see the what. What are spiritually intentional relationships? I think verse 24 provides a very helpful definition of what they are. Follow along with me as I read. The writer to the Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works this this verse here this this command to consider how to stir up one another is the third command that the writer to the Hebrews has given us in response to all that Christ has done for us he's just spent the first Ten and a half chapters of this or nine and a half chapters of this book Fleshing out who christ is and what he's done with us and here starting in verse 19 He's fleshing out what does it look like for us to live in light of what christ has done for us He's he's called us to draw near He's called us to hold fast and here in this verse that we're going to be looking at He calls us to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works And it's this command here that I think nicely describes what our spiritually intentional relationships should look like. They are relationships where we are actively seeking to motivate and to spur on those around us to love and good works. To better flesh this out, let's just consider it phrase by phrase here. First, the the writer calls us to consider. This word here, consider, it, it captures the idea of intentionality in these spiritually intentional relationships. To, to consider something means that you, you pay attention to it. It's something that you, you're looking at closely. You know, when when someone tells us something and we tell them, you know, I'll I'll consider that. Someone brings a proposition to us or asks us to do something, and we say, hey, we'll consider that. What we generally mean is that we want to take some time to think about it. We want to take some time to mull it over in our heads, to to look at whatever this is from potentially or from different angles, just to, we really want to spend time looking at it closely, and that's what the he, writer to the Hebrews is calling us to do in our relationships with one another. We're to, be, we're to be mulling over our relationships with one another. And in the next phrase, we see what we're meant to be mulling over. As he continues, we're meant to mull over to consider how we can stir up one another. We're to be intentional. We are to pay attention in how we stir up, how we stir up One another, and this word here to stir up—it's usually used in a negative sense throughout uh, throughout the New Testament. Here, it usually has the idea of provoking. Uh, Just in the Morgan household, for us, this looks like Bradley provoking his older sisters in just any number of ways. Just think of just whatever you can imagine—he likes to provoke his older sisters in just those ways. And here the writer is calling us to provoke one another, but not to to provoke one another to anger or to impatience, but here we're to provoke one another in the best sense of the term, in the sense of motivating one another, of spurring one another on, stirring each other up, we want to arouse, we want to stimulate one another here. And as the passage continues, we see that we're meant to do that. We are to consider, we're to be intentional for how we can motivate and stir up and stimulate one another to love and good works, as we see there at the end of verse 24. And love and good works here being used by the writer is really just a summary of the Christian life. When you think of how Jesus and Paul and the other writers in the New Testament, when they talk about what the Christian life is all about, it is all about love and good works. I mean, that is as good of a summary as any as you can find. We are to continually be growing in our love for God, in our love for one another's, those are the two great commandments, let us love God, let us love one another, and this love is expressed in good works. We express our love for God. We express our love for one another in good works. So what are spiritually intentional relationships? What what does Mark Dever mean by that phrase here? What do I mean by that phrase? Well, as we're seeing here in verse 24, I think that they are relationships where we are actively thinking about and looking for ways to motivate and encourage one another to grow in their love for God and their love for one another. Isn't this a a beautiful and captivating description of what our relationships for one another should look like? Just a, a beautiful vision of what life in the local church is meant to be like. We are to be a community that is continually encouraging and motivating one another to be intentional to grow in our love for God and in our love for one another. And so I just wanna ask you, does this vision capture the way you think about relationships right here in Grace Church? Specifically here, does verse 24 capture how you think about your role in these relationships, being actively involved in the spiritual growth of your brothers and sisters right here at Grace Church? As, As I've been sitting in this passage all week, I have just been so grateful for those who have cultivated these spiritually intentional relationships like these with me. Specifically, I've been thinking and thanking God for Dan Arthur. He's a a dear friend who is regularly reaching out to me Regu- as I'm sure he has many of you in here, he's regularly reaching out, regularly asking thoughtful questions about how I'm doing so that he can meaningfully motivate and encourage me in my walk with Christ. Whether that's by praying with me or for me, whether that is just a text sharing scripture with me, or perhaps what I find most meaningful is a text two or three days later asking about the thing I had previously shared. I think that vision right there is what spiritually intentional relationships look like. I I hope that he would say that, that I do the same for him. And here, as we think about these spiritually intentional relationships, don't hear me saying that you can't talk about anything else. That's, that's not what I'm saying here. Uh, Dan and I, if you've ever been around us, you know that we have plenty of discussions about baseball, about work, about our kids, about politics, or about the latest podcast that one of us has been listening to. Those in our home group have to suffer through that. But on the whole, I think I can say that it would be unusual For Dan and I to have a conversation with with no spiritual grounding at all. And I think that that's what the writer to the Hebrews is getting at here in in verse 24. I think he's calling us to pursue the types of relationships with one another where we are deliberate to know what is going on in one another's lives so that we can be a means that God would use to help each other become more like Christ. As we stir one another up to love and good works. And so that's the what of spiritually intentional relationships. These are relationships where we are being intentional to have a spiritual grounding in our relationships and our conversations with one another that are all about encouraging and pursue and moving one another on to love and good works. And as we turn to verse 25, we're going to see the how of these relationships. We're going to see how we go about making these relationships. And as I read the first part of this verse, notice that the writer shows us how not to make these relationships and what we are to do to make them. So in verse 25, the writer says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Before showing us how we make these spiritually intentional relationships, the writer to the Hebrews first shows us how how not to make them. As we see here in the beginning of verse 25, the number one way that you and I can ensure that we are not cultivating spiritually intentional relationships is to neglect meeting together. It is simply to stop showing up and to stop opening up with others here in this local church. Here in in the situation in Hebrews, we don't know the specifics of all that was going on in this local church, whether it was the risk of persecution, whether it was discouragement or disillusionment with the church or something else. There were some who had made it a habit Of neglecting to gather with the local church. And here it's not just gathering, he doesn't just mean show up on a Sunday morning and leave right when church ends. Here in gathering, he's talking about having these spiritually intentional relationships. Whatever it is, there were some who had stopped pursuing these relationships in the local church. And the writer to the Hebrews wants to nip this in the bud, he does does not want this to continue. He doesn't want these brothers and sisters here in this church that he loves to forsake gathering in meaningful ways with the local church because he knows the grave consequences that this can have. You see here in Hebrews 10, behind this exhortation to gather together is his awareness of the very real threat of apostasy or of of leaving the faith, what you and I today might refer to as, as deconstruction, that so easily happens when people stop gathering with the local church. I was listening to a podcast just this last week that interviewed Joshua Harris and his story of deconstruction. But it's not just the Joshua Harris is who have these stories. I know that many of you, just like me, have had someone they love and deeply care about deconstruct their faith, have had someone they love and care about leave the local church. And as I hear more and more of these stories, and sadly it seems like there's just no lack of them these days, the one thing that I'm seeing they all have in common is that usually very on in this process of questioning their faith, they stop showing up. They stop gathering with their local church in meaningful ways. They stop showing up and opening up their lives. And here the writer is highlighting for us the potential risk to our spiritual lives if we neglect to gather with the church. And, and brothers and sisters, I would just say that this should be a sober warning for each and every one of us. This passage in the entire New Testament speaks against the idea of solo Christianity or what Steve likes to call cowboy Christianity where where we think that we are just better navigating our spiritual lives on our own. Where the Christian life is just all about us reading and studying the Bible on our own for ourselves, being involved with the church when we feel like like when we feel like we're getting something from it, or when the church is just adding to our vision of what's gonna go well for us. But I hope here in in this verse here, in this passage, that you're seeing that the Bible is offering us so much more than that, as it shows us this interdependent vision of Christianity where we are dependent on others for our own spiritual growth and prospering, and others are dependent on us for their spiritual growth, and for their prospering in the Christian life. I just love that how Ed Welch captures this in his book, Side by Side, where he says in the Christian life, each and every one of us is needy and we're needed. In the Christian life, we are all needy and we are all needed. And that's the vision that the writer to the Hebrews is capturing here as he tells us what first not to do. And that is to not neglect meeting with with those in the local church now before we move on to how we do cultivate those relationships i just want to briefly just mention something that has just been on my heart as i've been considering this passage the call of this passage and i think that there's an element in this passage here for each of us to reflect on and that's a call to prioritize these spiritually intentional relationships in the local church you see, one of the temptations that many of us can face is the, tempt- is the temptation to prioritize these spiritually intentional relationships with those outside the local church, as we unintentionally prioritize those relationships over our relationships right here in this body where we have covenanted, where we have committed and agreed to walk with one another, Now, please don't hear me saying that that you can never get together with Christians outside of Grace Church. That's, That's not what I'm saying at all. It is great to have friends and relationships with other Christians outside of the local church. I have plenty of them, but I think that the question Hebrews 10 is forcing us to ask is, are we prioritizing our relationships with those inside the local church, or are we prioritizing our relationships with those outside of the local church. And I believe that the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging each and every one of us here to prioritize fellowship with this body, with the brothers and sisters that you've joined together with and made commitments to in membership. So perhaps a good diagnostic thing to consider would be before joining a Bible study with a group of friends or before regularly prioritizing meetings outside of the local church, just consider have you first prioritized your relationships here in this body first? That's not the case. I would just ask you to consider perhaps prioritize our relationships here in the local church first. Well, thanks for letting me share that there. So we've seen how not to do that, and that is to first to not show up. But the writer just doesn't tell us what not to do. He tells us how we go about making these relationships. And it's very clear at the end of verse 25 where he says, but encouraging one another. that that's, that's, That is how we cultivate these relationships with one another. We are to encourage one another. As you and I strive to stir up one another to love and good works. How we go about doing this isn't rocket science. We're simply called to encourage one another. And I do find this very encouraging because there's no book that we have to read. There's no certification or no class that we have to go to to encourage one another. We motivate and stir our brothers on in the Christian life by encouraging them. Now, encouraging doesn't take special training, but as we've seen in verse 24, it does take intentionality and it does take effort on our part. It's something that we're to consider, something that we are to deliberately think about. Um, to encourage someone literally means to, to put courage into someone, I find that just such a a helpful picture as we think about what in the world is encouragement. When we encourage one another, we are literally putting courage into their souls. We we do this as we speak words that comfort, that cheer up, that console. It's certainly true that our encouragement can include notions of, of warning or rebuke, provided that they're done in love. But on the whole, as we look at the New Testament, as we consider what encouragement looks like, it looks like speaking words of comfort, speaking words that build one another up, that stir up and motivate those around us to love and to good works. I don't think there's a better picture in the New Testament of an encourager than Barnabas. Barnabas is, is someone who has a prominent role in the book of Acts. His, son, his name literally means son of encouragement. And every time we see him in the book of Acts, he is just spurring on and encouraging the Christians one after another that he meets. I think um, Acts 11 captures this well where it says of, of Barnabas, it says that when he came, when he came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God and he was glad and he exhorted or he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. That sounds a lot like Hebrews 10, 24, and 5, doesn't it? Here, Barnabas is stirring up these Christians in Acts to remain faithful to the Lord, and he's doing this, he's stirring them up, he's encouraging them by highlighting the grace of God in their lives. This is is really what encouragement's all about. It's not about puffing someone up, it's not about speaking words to flatter them, but our encouragement is about seeing the grace of God in someone's life, seeing it, rejoicing, being glad that God's grace is operative in this brother or sister's life, and in response, telling that person where you see grace in their lives. We encourage one another as we see the grace of God, And as we take the time and intentionality to share with others where we see that in their life. and, And the result of our encouragement is that our brothers and sisters are built up. They are encouraged in their souls to keep going and to keep growing in the Christian life. As the elders and wives, we, we, as Tab mentioned last week, we recently got away for an elders and wives retreat, and really the, the whole emphasis of that retreat, of those uh, less than 48 hours together, was simply to get away to encourage one another. In preparation, we read a couple articles on encouragement that we're going to be sharing with you this week, and in one of the articles written by Ray Ortland, he said this about encouragement. He said, the ministry of encouragement, and and that's what it is, right? It's it's a ministry. The ministry of encouragement isn't optional or just for people with a knack for it. Real encouragement has authority over us all. And hear how he says this. He says, it deserves nothing less than to set the predominant tone of our churches, our homes, and our ministries. Is this how you generally think about encouragement as a vital, non-optional ministry that deserves to set the predominant tone here of Grace Church, of your home, and over every single relationship that you have? Again, as we think about the context of Hebrews again, we we can see why encouragement deserves nothing than to take central priority in our life, and it's because it it was to take that place in Hebrews because the Christians were tempted to give up. They were discouraged and they were tempted to throw in the towel. And the writer to the Hebrews says, don't do that, but brothers and sisters, encourage the one who is tempted to give up, encourage the one who is tempted to throw in the towel. And while you and I might not be tempted to leave Christianity this morning, although I'm sure there are some here who might identify with that struggle, each and every one of us this morning are desperately in need of encouragement. We are all desperately in need of hearing others tell us where they see God's grace in our lives. Because the truth is, all too often, that is the furthest thing that is from our minds. We are usually much more aware of our own failures, of our own mess-ups, of the ways that we don't measure up. At the same elders and wives retreat, this was something that was just very clear as we would, after each meal, we would take time to go around and just encourage a couple. We would encourage the husband, we would encourage the wife as we went around. And it seemed as if um, almost without fail at some point as we were encouraging, and I know this was Donna and Mai's experience as well, at some point we would say or we would think to ourselves, we just don't see that. You're highlighting all these ways that you see God's grace in our life And we just don't see it. I mean, I think without fail, that was our experience as we went around the table. Here we are, person after person, telling someone where we see God's grace in their life, whether it's in their patience, in their heart of service, in their intentionality, or whatever it was. And the person receiving the encouragement just had a really hard time seeing that in their own lives. And I just wonder can you relate? Can you relate with that. And I know that you don't need the answer because you don't need to answer that question because you do. We all do. We can all relate with not seeing God's grace in our lives because each and every one of us here is much more aware of our failures, the things that we've done and the things that we have left undone, than we are aware of God's grace in our lives. And that is why it is so vital that we form and that we make these spiritually intentional relationships, why we prioritize encouraging one another because it is so desperately needed for us to keep going and keep growing in the Christian life. You just never know how important your words of encouragement might be to someone, especially a brother or sister who is floundering or struggling, even those here this morning who might be tempted to quit or just to stop showing up. As I've been highlighting this morning, these relationships just don't happen. We do not stumble into relationships of intentional encouragement, into into spiritually intentional relationships to one another. It's something we have to consider, something we have to make time for, and that is why here at Grace Church, we talk so much about and we place such a high emphasis on home groups. It's not that these are the only places where you can receive, where you can have spiritually intentional relationships, but they are the primary way that we here at Grace Church structure for this. It's the way that we structure for these types of relationships that the writer to the Hebrews is wanting us to have. And encouragement is so important and it can easily become so overwhelming as we look at a group this large here this morning and we think, how in the world am I going to be able to encourage every single person around here? And here's the, the blessing and the benefit of home groups is that it helps give us a defined group of people that we can be intentional throughout our weeks to encourage. I mean, we can certainly encourage those outside of our home groups, but for me, I find it so helpful to look at those in my home group, in addition to those in my home, as the core group of people that I am considering how to stir up to love and good works. It's those in my home group that I can get to know, that I can know what is going on in their lives, where I can see the good, the bad, and the ugly so that I can meaningfully look for and I can meaningfully speak words of encouragement to their soul. So if you are here this morning and in need of encouragement, I want to encourage you to join a home group, if you're not already, to, to position yourself in this smaller context where you can be known by others so that they can better encourage you perhaps you've you've been in a group you've been in a group in the past and you just haven't found it meaningful or encouraging if that's the case i would just ask you to consider if in addition to showing up if you've also if you need to open up so that others can know and see specific ways that you are in need of encouragement just wonder do do others know your struggles so that they can intentionally speak words of grace into your life I know as I've opened, I guess as I shared about in our emotions conference here, just an ongoing struggle with shame and it has just been one of the most freeing things to let others in the church know about that so that they can be intentionally encouraging me, they can be intentionally looking for signs of grace in my life to encourage me to keep going and to keep growing. And I am so confident that the ministry I've received from many of you in this church is open and available to you as well as you open up to let others know where you're struggling, where you are in need of growth. And so for all of us here, I think there's just a call for us to consider the desperate need that others have for encouragement and to be a church that embraces and excels all the more in our calling to encourage one another. There are so many of you who do this, so many of you who do this so well. And so I would just say, let us continue to embrace this and to excel in this all the more. So we've seen the what, we've seen the how, and let's lastly and briefly here, let us look at the why. Why should we prioritize pursuing spiritually intentional relationships? Well, the answer is in that little phrase at the end of verse 25, look with me. He says, he tells us not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Here it is, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here is our motivation for pursuing spiritually intentional relationships. It is Christ's return, Christ's second coming. When the writer talks about the day, you see the word day day there is most likely capitalized in your Bible. It's not just referring to any day, but it is referring to the day when Christ will return at his second coming to usher in his kingdom here on this earth. We pursue spiritually intentional relationships because we are living for far more than just the right here and the right now. We pursue these intentional relationships because we are living in light of eternity. We are looking forward to the day when Christ will return. And this here is meant to be sobering and hope-giving for each and every one of us. I think it's sobering because as the Bible talks about that day, it talks about that day as being a day of judgment and a day of blessing where we will all be judged for our works. Here in this verse, God's giving us a a bigger picture of reality than just this life, helping us to see that everything we do, we are doing in light of eternity, and it should help us see that our actions matter. What we do with our lives in the right here and the right now matters because we are going to give account for them. God is going to hold us accountable for how we did or did not consider how to stir up one another to, go, to love, and to good works. God doesn't want us to take this lightly. He wants this truth right here, this reality, to motivate us to live in light of that day. But it's not just sobering. It's also hopeful. Because as we consider Christ's return, as we consider his second coming, we are reminded of all that Christ has done for us. As I mentioned in the beginning here, the command in verse 24 flows from verses 19 to 21, where the writer to the Hebrews has highlighted all that Christ has accomplished for us, as he has highlighted everything that Jesus has done for you and for me. You see, the motivation for you and I to pursue spiritually intentional relationships with one another is seen in the fact that Jesus took the initiative to pursue spiritually intentional relationships with each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, Jesus pursued us while we were living lives of rebellion against him. And in his kindness to us, he showed us grace, not punishing us for our sin and for our rebellion, but instead bearing that penalty himself. Here, here's the hope, you see, when, when you and I, when all who have trusted in Christ stand before God On that day, on the day, all who've trusted in Christ, we are not going to be judged based on our works, but when God looks at us, he is going to see his son, Christ. This is the good news of the gospel and this is the truth that you and I need to so desperately see and believe if we are going to be motivated to form these relationships with one another because that the, ulti- the ultimate thing that is going to motivate us to stir one another to love and good works is the gospel. It is seeing what Jesus has done for you and for me. We don't talk ourselves into it. We don't just try harder to form these relationships, but we look to the cross. We look to Christ. We see his love for us, and as we are aware of Christ's love for us, we will be positioned to love one another as we spur them on, knowing that one day, knowing that on that day, Jesus is gonna come again. We are going to see him face to face and seeing him face-to-face, we will become like him. We will be fully transformed into the image of Christ. This is our hope. This is our motivation for pursuing spiritually intentional relationships with us. It is the reality that Christ has come and that Christ is coming again as we live in the good of what he's done for us, as we live with the hope of the fact that he's coming again and that we are going to become like him. We can pursue These spiritually intentional relationships with one another for ours and for their continued growth in the Christian life. That is the good news of the gospel this morning. And before we transition to take the Lord's Supper, I just wanna speak to those who are here who might not be a Christian, those who are here who might just kind of be checking out the church, exploring the church. I just, first off, wanna say thank you so much for being here this morning. I do not believe that it is a mistake that you are here. And this morning, in light of what we just saw, in light of the fact that one day Christ is returning, I just want to encourage you to look to Christ this morning, to look to him, to see in his life, death, and resurrection, his great love for you so that you can be reconciled to him and you can receive the gift of the church family. You can receive the gift of these encouraging relationships that we see here in Hebrews 10. So we've seen here the what, the why, and how of spiritually intentional relationships. And I hope that as you consider what your priorities are going to be as you transition back into whatever your new normal is going to look like, I hope that this passage here is helping you to see and to have the priority of pursuing spiritually intentional relationships in the local church that you might prosper In the Christian life. And so as we close this morning, I want to invite Philip to come on down, invite